We turn in God's Word tonight to Psalm 15. As we look at the Ninth Commandment, Lord's Day 43, the Heidelberg Catechism, page 893 in the back of your hymnals. The Ninth Commandment, which is, You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Speaking truth. seems to be in quite short supply. I, I, I watch these documentaries from time to time, various issues, and, and I was watching one the other night. I don't know if I should maybe say this. It might uh, paint a, a bad picture, but it was a mobster documentary, and it was about the FBI and their investigation into this mobster and, and, and whether he was telling the truth or if he was an informant or this and that and the other thing. And by the end of the, the, the documentary, I thought, does anybody tell the truth anymore? It sounded like the one side was, was being paid to, to, to lie and the other side was, was, was being paid to inform and, to, and to, to tell truths, untruths and slander and gossip. And I got to the end and I thought, I don't even know who's uh, speaking truth, who's talking, uh, who's, who's uh, bringing the facts to bear. And it, it just, it kind, of, uh, it kind of reminds you, it takes you a moment to get your bearings and say, well, where in the world do we... Do we know we can find truth? And we know we can find truth in God's Word. And therefore, we, we turn there and we uh, reflect upon what God uh, teaches. In fact, God makes a, a very clear teaching about the importance of truth in Psalm 15, as we're going to see in just a few moments. The psalmist reflects on that. He asks the question, who can dwell with the Lord? Who can walk with the Lord? It's the one who speaks truth, who lives in light of the truth. What's the character of the one whom God will receive? Well, that's, that's the question that's in the back of our minds as we hear God's word this evening. Let us turn our attention to Psalm 15. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart. Who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor? Or takes up a reproach against his friend. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. Who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Who does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. This is the word of God. And then question and answer 112 of Lord's Day 43. What is God's will for you in the ninth commandment? The answer, that I never give false testimony against anyone. Twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor join in condemning anyone rashly or without a hearing. Rather, I should avoid under penalty of God's wrath every kind of lying and deceit as the very works of the devil. And in court and everywhere else, I should love the truth, speak it candidly, and openly acknowledge it. And I should do what I can to defend and advance my neighbor's honor and reputation. Well, if we read that with any sort of care, we are convicted of just how far short we fall 
that commandment. I was uh, received in the mail just, I believe it was yesterday, maybe Friday, the latest table talk for October, and there is on the cover, Lost Virtues, and the, the uh, article on honesty is rather interesting. I wanted to read this, uh, the opening of this article by Todd Pruitt. Lying may be among the very first sins a child learns to commit with any level of zeal. A child, like most of us, I suppose, has an almost instinctive desire for survival. Lying promises a quick and easy passport out of trouble. The good news for children in this regard is that most of them are terrible liars. This is good because there is something far worse than being found out in a lie, and that is not being found out. That precisely is the predicament for us as we grow out of childhood. If we have not arrested our tendency to lie, we get better at it. Therein is the truth, dear people of God. We want to look at that tonight. The ninth commandment, we often hear when people speak of the Ten Commandments, they'll say, well, one of them I know is do not lie. Well, it is. It's, it's the ninth commandment. It's you shall not bear false witness. The gist of it is you shall not lie. Truthfulness uh, in witness was very important in the Old Testament times before the days of of DNA testing and fingerprinting and and, uh, video surveillance and all the rest. One's life would, would, would be in the balance based upon the testimony of two witnesses. Upon the testimony of two witnesses, one could be could be killed. This commandment, however, doesn't just deal with courtroom infractions. It deals with all kinds of lies, lies that destroy reputation, lies that leave people walking down a path that will lead to death. I read some years ago the uh, autobiography of one of our Supreme Court justices, and he, in his confirmation hearing, was just hammered by uh, false accusations. At least that's what he maintains, and as far as we know, they were false, and it ruined his reputation. He's now in one of the most prestigious positions in our culture as a Supreme Court justice, and yet his reputation is, from all, for all intents and purposes, in the culture seen as, as, as though he is a, a scoundrel. The, the real person is, has been so marred by, by false accusation that it is hard to imagine him ever regaining his good name. Also, those uh, lies that... Uh, leave a person in a deadly path. We're told today this idea of medicinal marijuana, this idea of using drugs to deal with stress and, and, and all of these uh, uh, issues that come up, to just kind of suppress that and, 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 and to, to use whatever, whatever amount is necessary to, to get rid of those feelings that we don't want to have. And we treat that as as a medical uh, diagnosis and therefore helpful to us when in actuality it leads to a tremendous amount of depression, uh, suicide, and many other uh, side effects. The Bible tells us, looking at these two just again in, in, in review, the Bible tells us that a good name is better than fine perfume, to be chosen over great riches. It's hard to regain one's honor, so it's, it's, very, it's important for us to speak truthfully about others not to destroy reputation. And then to this other matter, the Bible tells us that a source of misery is sin. 
And we need to bring that sin to God. It's the only way that we can find any relief. We come to God, the one who grants us peace in Christ. We must fight for what's right. We can live with hope because Christ has won the victory. Because in Him we have the forgiveness of sins. Drugs don't deal with that. It's the blood of Christ that deals with our, with our sin. Well, lies and believing the lie have led to tremendous hurt and pain, disappointment and stress. The devil came into the garden to tempt humanity with the lie, and when our first parents believed that lie, paradise was lost. And murder came as a result, and separation, and all kinds of misunderstanding. Lies became part of our experience. We can go through a a litany of lies throughout the scriptures, names that come up, and and, and pictures that come to our minds. Jacob lied, Laban lied, Ananias and Sapphira lied, and lies led to Christ's crucifixion. We see just how deadly lies can be. We've convinced ourselves that there is a multitude of interpretations today, a limitless almost measure of interpretations of the world and how we are to live in it and how we can think about it. Yet God makes clear to us again in His Word that woven into the fabric of the world is is the truth by which the world works, by which we're governed. We're looking in catechism, high school catechism class. We just started looking at why the importance of knowing our history, why knowing the history of the the people of God and, and leading up even to present day. It's so that we don't repeat the same mistakes. It's so that we don't follow the same lies and and believe the same deceptions and to think, well, if we just do this, it it'll work this time. It didn't work the previous thousand times, but when we do it, it'll it, it's going to ha- it's going to work. No. God says the, the lie will be found out. We are to live. According to the truth, we are those who are caretakers of the truth entrusted once for all to the saints. The fact of the matter is, God created man, male and female, to be his servants on earth who discover and who promote the truth, guiding the world in truth, living it out. His word tells us that's how we walk with him, that's how we how we dwell in his presence. Let me read those verses again. 15, uh, Psalm 15, verses 2 and 3. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does, not, does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend, he is the one who can dwell on your holy hill. He is the one who can sojourn in the Lord's tent. The psalmist says, better to serve as a doorkeeper in the tents of the Lord than to dwell in the land of the wicked. The Lord loves truth. The psalmist even declares, so that we would not miss it, so that we won't somehow think it's, it's going to work out in the end, that the Lord destroys those who speak lies. Psalm 5, verse 6. He wants us to speak the truth the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Lies are from the devil, who is the father of lies, as Jesus says in John eight forty four. When he speaks a lie, he speaks his native tongue. 
It is his nature to lie. He was saying this to those who were religious, but who were standing against the truth. They were following their own thoughts and their own ways of how things work. We say, boy, I, I don't like the God of the Old Testament. I like, I like Jesus in the New Testament. He's not at all judgmental. He's not at all uh, 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 harsh. Well, here he's very harsh with these religious men. He's saying, you are of your father, the devil. You are following the lie that says you can save yourself. You can live in the way that you want and come to God on your own. Jesus is not mincing words here. He wants people to know truth. God's gracious work towards man is to remake him in his image, to be truth-tellers, we see in Ephesians 4.24. God declares his plan is to rescue the world from uh, from death. God's will in the ninth commandment. Let me read that opening part of Psalm 1, or of uh, answer 112 again, that I never give false testimony against anyone, twist no one's words, not gossip or slander, nor join, join in condemning anyone rashly or without a hearing. We should avoid every, every kind of lying and deceit as the very works of the devil. Look at the categories with me tonight. First, false testimony. Think of how, think of how this played out in Scripture. When you think of King Ahab, what did he want? He wanted Naboth's vineyard. What did he do? He pouted about it. He was saying, that belongs to me. Naboth says, no, that's my inheritance. I will not turn it over to you. It's something that has been in my family and is going to remain in my family. Belongs to me by this inheritance. And Ahab pouts. And what does he do? He pouts long enough that his wife Jezebel comes to him and says, what's your problem? You're the king. Rule doesn't apply to you, right? It's a lie, isn't it? Oh, the rules don't apply to you. You're above the law. You're, you're, you, you, you want it? I'll see to it that you get it. And she raises up men who are scoundrels, who speak of Naboth, who testify against him and say, Naboth is a scoundrel. And he's stoned to death. Do you understand the picture there? This is among the people of God who are to be standing for truth. Do you know what's written there in 1 Kings? It says this, Ahab, criminal number one, and the men of the city, and the elders, and the leaders, went along with a lie. And Naboth was stoned to death. This is a communal lie. It's a, it's a community. It's a culture. It's a, it's a society that ha- is filled with lies. Well, that seems to be a regular practice in our politicized age. As I said earlier, when one side doesn't want the other side's nominee for a particular position, when it has to go before a Senate, in the case of a Supreme Court justice, witnesses are brought up, false testimony is presented, the nominee fails to be appointed. Think of Judge Robert Bork some years ago under President Reagan. Did not get approved because, well, as far as we can tell, The other side didn't want him there. 
Reputations are destroyed. God, God, however, in that situation hates the lie. And he's angry with those who go along with it. He's displeased when we do it. We say something that's a lie about our classmate, about our neighbor, about our leaders. False testimony. And we see second category there, twisting no one's words. How often don't we emphasize the mean thing that another person said about us and not the harmful words that we spoke to provoke that reaction? We like to present our interpretation of the matter as the facts. We have networks that declare this is a no-spin zone. You come here, you're going to get just the facts. But it's bringing in a listenership, and it's keeping them by spinning stories and working in emotional elements. And we do the same. We spin things. And there's gossip and slander, the third category. The commandment teaches us that we must not gossip or slander. Gossip is sharing, is defined this way, sharing unsubstantiated or unnecessary information about others. Not everything needs to be passed on, even the things that we do here. We have to ask questions like, is it helpful? Does it advance my neighbor's good name, which is clearly set forth in this commandment? We ask ourselves this question, am I as happy to pass on information that's of a positive nature about someone that, that speaks of, of, of something good that's happened as I am about passing along something that, that isn't uns, that, that's unsubstantiated and, and also kind of has a, that kind of a twist of discoloration about someone. Hey, did you see her so-and-so lost their, their contract because, well, you know, I heard, dot, dot, dot. Did you hear so-and-so lost their job because, you know, I heard, dot, dot, dot. We're like, oh, oh, what, what's this? Instead, we ought to not listen to gossip. This is the rule. It is wrong to gossip, and it's wrong to listen to gossip. Writer of Proverbs says this, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels that go down to a man's inmost parts. You take in something tasty, and you say, ooh, I got a taste for that. I want more of that. I, wanna, I, want, I want more of that. It, 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 it sounds good to me. Rather than, here's the opposite, sharing good news. Did you hear that? Did you hear that Ben got a promotion for being top salesman for the 10th month in a row? Did you hear that? That was great. That's really exciting. A slander goes a step further than gossip. It deliberately passes along what is false. Jesus considered slander a serious sin when he says in Matthew chapter 15, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. All there. Slander includes assuming the worst possible motives for other people's intentions and refusing to give people the benefit of the doubt. Happens often today. Something happens to us, we assume, well, she's not talking to me because she must be mad at me. 
Or I didn't like the way he wrote that email. There's something, something going on. And then telling others, this, is, this, person's the pro- this person's got a problem. And passing our understanding of things off as, as the facts, as, the, as truth. And slander and gossip sells, doesn't it? There are entire magazines, websites devoted to gossip and slander. We want to believe the worst about the British royal family. We murmur about the dysfunctions of the family. We like it when one royal writes a tell-all book about what's really happening behind closed doors. We're not to be participating in that, to be supporting that. Then there's this final category. We're not to join in condemning anyone rashly or without a hearing. Jesus warns, judge not lest you be judged. That's the Probably the most popular verse quoted against Christianity today. Judge not, lest you be judged. And Jesus is not saying that we don't make any judgments, that we don't discern. What he's saying is that we must be careful to have an overly harsh measure of judgment, like we often do. We'll meet someone for the first time and we'll make a, we'll make a, a, a judgment about that person immediately, right there, having met them one time. Jumping to conclusion. The Western justice system, Western civilization, has a basic principle, innocent until proven guilty. It's a biblical idea. It's the foundation of trial before jury. Proverbs says it this way. We should hear the other side. The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Proverbs 18, 17. Presuming innocence doesn't mean we don't make judgments or that we aren't critical thinkers but it does mean that we withhold a final verdict until we have as much information as we can. There's a, there's a patience, right? A fruit of the Spirit, patience, a, a waiting and not jumping on the bandwagon saying, yeah, let's go after that person or that company or that whatever. It's a patience that God gives to his people. It's hard not to rush to judgment today, isn't it? In Twitter society, and Twitter world, where everybody's supposed to have their opinion about everything, and it's supposed to be in the next 15 seconds. And if you're a social influencer, I hope you're, you guys don't worry about that kind of stuff. But, if, but, but we see these social influencers, and what, they're, what are they supposed to do? They're supposed to have a comment about anything and everything that comes up, and it's supposed to be, they're supposed to be the first ones out there with that, with that assessment, with that judgment. And if, they, if they're hesitant, they're saying, oh, you're taking sides. It's rare that people wait to determine what is happening. Yet here at the end of answer 112, it's very helpful for us. I think these words are very helpful. We are to do all that we can, or I am to do what I can to defend and advance my neighbor's honor and reputation. And that not just in the courtroom, that, that's where it's, that's how it's set up here in this, in this question and answer, this giving uh, uh, false testimony. But it says there that I am to speak truth. I'm to avoid every kind of lying and deceit as the very works of the devil in court and everywhere else. It was Praveen's examiner, as I said this morning, in the area of ethics at his candidacy exam and preparing these questions and and. So reminded how important truth is to the functioning of our society. 
to see, you're asking these questions, is this, is this right? How would you deal with this ethical situation? And, and you can think of the, 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 the almost infinite number of, of ways to answer these questions if you have no center. And that's our culture today. They have no center. They're like, well, it depends. It's, it, 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 all, it all depends. What, I don't know what I would do in that situation. It very, God is very clear in his commands, and those are to guide and direct us, and we are to speak the truth, and we are also to withhold judgment, a hasty judgment, because we seek to defend and advance our neighbor's honor and reputation. Life and death often hang in the balance. Maybe not the person's physical life, but the reputation, as we've already said, heard tonight. We're bombarded with lies today. Supporting lies and and pushing gossip is incentivized. Telling the truth is often attacked or censored. We must not forget who we are. We are God's ambassadors on earth. We represent him everywhere. 1 Samuel 15, 29 says, The glory of Israel will not lie, speaking of God. We're to be truth-tellers as those who represent him. Those who lie show themselves to be sons of the devil, whose native tongue, whose native language is the lie. John 8, 44. Proverbs 6 says this, verses 16 to 19, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. So many of those are verbal sins. Attacks, speaking falsely. The fact of the matter is, dear people of God, speaking truth is going to invite suffering. Christ spoke truth, and he did so out of love. He was not against people. He was for them. He wanted them to know the truth, and it, and it led to so many hating him because they didn't want to hear the truth. He suffered. We will suffer as we follow after him. We love others. Therefore, we speak the truth candidly, as the answer says here, and openly acknowledge it, no matter the consequences. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, before he was banished from the, the, the Soviet Union, had one final published document, and it was titled, Do Not Live by Lies. And what he was saying in that final document before he was banned from the Soviet Union and had to come to the United States was this, the leadership is lying, and <clears throat> excuse me, and we can't live according to those lies. It's not going to bring utopia. It's going to draw us further and further away from that which will establish a solid foundation or maintain a solid foundation. He suffered greatly for it. We don't need to look too hard in Scripture to see how speaking truth leads to suffering. In the book of the Revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the last book of the Bible speaks of suffering throughout life, but the final word is that Christ wins and truth prevails and the lie is destroyed. It's part of the, the glorious uh, uh, environment, uh, the glorious uh, reality of, of the, coming, the coming world that God has for us. It will establish truth forever. Well, as I studied for this sermon, I, the life of Joseph kept bouncing around in my head. It, 
He was one who endured much suffering because of the lies his brother told. You remember they took his coat, covered it in goat's blood, and brought it to their father and said, well, a wild animal must have gotten him. And the story before us is Joseph goes into captivity and he endures much suffering. We feel for him. We're told in Genesis 44, verse 16, however, that the Lord uncovers the lie. The brothers realize that they have lied and they indicate it, said, God has found us out. The lie will be found out. We see that his, Joseph's suffering served a purpose in God's plan. What sought to break him magnified God's power to deliver. It's only as we acknowledge the lie. Those who live the lie do it for, it seems, almost a lifetime. And then they are found out in everything they've built. Everything they've built. Everything that's, that's, been, that's been the work of their hands by God's grace is, it comes crashing down. It's seen in the most visible of figures. It's seen even amongst uh, uh, ministers where they live a lie and it's found out and everything they've done is destroyed. Now Joseph prefigures Christ who suffered. Christ, like Joseph, in that he was despised and rejected, pressed on, recognizing what was yet to come. Recognizing the importance of obeying God and living for him. Christ, unlike Joseph, was perfect in every way, providing a perfect sacrifice. He did not complain about his suffering, but endured it to make a way for us. He wanted to live in keeping with God's will for his life because he knew that the truth was that he had come, that he had to suffer, that he had to die, that there was no other way that we might be delivered from sin and death and hell. And he lived in that way and completed that task that we might know that glorious promise of eternal life with God. The truth about us is that we live every day fighting against the lie. We offend God by not speaking the truth candidly, by not openly acknowledging it, by not loving it, but trying to live in other ways. We need to know the truth about ourselves, and that is that we are not truth-tellers. We are those who sin against God. And yet the truth is this, that God has provided the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. The Lord Jesus Christ, who has lived perfectly for us. And that truth sets us free then from fear and from, from uh, the, the, the disappointment of failure. Recognize that in Him, all our sins are paid for. God is rich in mercy, providing a sinless truth-teller, His Son who came to point people to the truth, to speak it freely and openly, to teach us the way that we might be able to dwell with God. That is what opens the way. That is how we can read Psalm 15 and say, well, there is hope because in Him we are those who are reckoned righteous. The psalm points to Jesus. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue, does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friend. That one was Christ. The one who went before us to open the way. And our prayer then each and every day is that God would open our hearts to the truth the healing truth, the also the, the, the 
abrasive truth, the, the challenging truth that in our everyday lives we would seek not to give false testimony, not to twist anyone's words or gossip or slander or join in condemning anyone rashly without a hearing, but recognize these as works of the devil. Instead, love the truth, speak it candidly and openly, that I should do what I can to defend and advance my neighbor's honor and reputation. That is what the Lord calls us to. That is the path that we must follow. Suffering, as we are called to do so, the godly shall suffer. But knowing that one day, all that we have passed by, because we have not joined the world in its lies and its corruption, seeking the things of this world, all of that will pale in comparison to what God has for us in Christ Jesus. So we press on in the truth of our sinfulness, but also in the truth of our forgiveness in Christ. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son who came to earth. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your willingness to come to earth, to die, to endure suffering unto death on the cross that we might be delivered to gain for us the sending of the Spirit, that you would dwell in us, O Lord. As you do dwell in us, help us to be truth-tellers. Help us to live in light of the truth and help us to point the way to the joy that comes from living in the light. Freedom from fear. Not walking in darkness, wanting our deeds to be covered, but walking in the light that all would see the joy that comes of a clear conscience. Forgive us for our sins of lying. Help us, Lord, more and more to put those to death, that that temptation to lie. Help us to walk in the truth for your glory. Amen. Number 119E, teach me, O Lord, thy way of truth. That is the prayer of our hearts as we come to God.